Open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And we've been studying the upside-down kingdom. People look at the principles of the kingdom of God, which is really what we're talking about. They look at these principles and say, well, they're kind of different, they're unusual. And what we've discovered is the principles the kingdom of the world operates on are the ones that are upside down. We've gone back and looked in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2 and saw that when God created everything in this realm of existence, that He set it to operate on certain principles or rules, that the kingdom of God operates by rules and principles. And one of the purposes of that Bible is to reveal them to us. And God doesn't change His rules or principles for us just because we don't like them, just because we don't understand them any more than the principles of nature or the rules of nature don't change just because we don't like them or don't believe in them. The gravity operates whether you like it or don't like it. Gravity operates whether you understand it or don't understand it. And gravity will operate whether you obey or disobey it. It will either work for you or against you. It's your choice. So if you decide to climb up on the building today and fly... I don't care how much faith you think you have, unless God has told you to do it, you're going to experience that gravity works. Most of us don't understand gravity, really understand the ultimate print. Some of you may, but most of us don't, and yet it still works. It will work for you, that's what's holding you down in the seat, but it will also work against you. It's your choice. And the same is true of the principles of the kingdom of God. What we saw is that when Satan came into that garden, one of his goals was to pervert the principles in the mind of Adam and Eve. He can't pervert the principles, but he can pervert their understanding of them. And that's what he was successful in doing. And so from that time on, not only Adam and Eve, but everyone else has been born. We've been born into the system of this world. The Greek word that's used for it is cosmos which is often translated world. It's a system. It's a way of thinking. And this world is saturated with a certain mentality and viewpoint to the point that when you start talking the way God talks, when you start acting the way God acts, you look weird to the world. In fact, you look weird to most Christians. And they will get upset at you. That's what Jesus did when He walked on the earth. He didn't walk according to the principles that the religious people walked according to. That's why the only people that gave him any trouble primarily were, were, the, were the religious institution. Why? Because he didn't follow the rules that they understood. But the Bible says he only did what he saw his father doing and only said what he heard his father saying. It says also in Hebrews chapter 1, he is the outshining, the exact representation of his father's nature. So Jesus never did anything contrary to the principles of the kingdom of God and that's why he rubbed wrong, in the wrong way the people that believed in and were entrenched in the principles of the kingdom of this world. The problem is you and I have grown up saturated with, indoctrinated with, surrounded by the principles of the kingdom of this world to the point that they're what seem natural to us. They're what seems normal to us. So we get saved, we begin to read our Bible, and we discover that God says to do things differently, and we think that's strange. 
And we think that if we begin to do things the way God, the Word of God says to do it, we're going to be weird and we're going to be... I remember that was one of my biggest fears when I got saved and, just, and was at that point of deciding, just give my life to God. Is He's going to ask me to do things that are weird. Well, I've been walking with him for 35 years and he's had me do things that were different than the world, but none of them are weird. But understand this, what's weird in the world's eyes is normal to God. 1 Corinthians 1 says, what's foolishness to the world is wisdom to God. What's weakness to the world is strength to God, and what the world considers as nothing is valuable and precious to God. So we're, we're in the process of learning how to think differently about the way we've been trained and the way God says to understand that what God's principles are are normal. They're the truth. The principles that you and I have been trained in are, per, are perversions of that truth. It's not a separate set of laws and rules that are true in themselves and we get to choose which ones of these true principles we're going to operate by. And this is why we're spending this time. The principles that you and I have been raised with are perversions of the principles of the world of God. They don't work. They didn't work in the garden when, when Satan sold Eve and Adam on the bill of goods to believe them because he was promising them, look, God's holding something back from you. You operate by God's rules, you're going to come up short. But you do what I tell you to do and I'll give you things God wouldn't give you. Yeah, he sure did. He promised them that they would be like God's. What happened when when they chose to obey his rules? They became afraid, they became ashamed, and they hid from God. And that's just as true today. The principles that the world offers us is success if you do things our way, acceptance, provision. But the reality is just pick up your newspaper this morning and you can see what the principles of this world have accomplished and are doing. And so what we're learning is that the principles of the kingdom of God are the truth. So it's incumbent upon us to learn to think differently. And that's why very soon I'm going to start on Wednesday nights teaching a course I used to do in school of ministry called Renewing the Mind. Very practical understanding of how your mind works and then how you can change how you think in order to think the way God thinks. Because Romans 12.2 says we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the renewing of our mind is just learning to think along the lines of the God's principles and not the principles that we've been indoctrinated with. But that requires change and a willingness to change. And that can be, it can be unnerving to us, that can be uncomfortable to us. But let me ask you this question. Do you like where you are? Are you dealing with fear? Are you dealing with shame? Do you have everything you need? In the kingdom of God, they did. They didn't have fear. They didn't have sickness and disease. They didn't wear ashamed. In fact, the last verse of chapter 2 says they were both naked and were not ashamed. They weren't even aware of themselves. They were so caught up in who God is. So look at your life. Look at how free you are. Look at how successful you are. Look at, and I don't mean in the world's eyes, I mean in the kingdom of God's eyes. Look, Look at how blessed you are. It's a result of the principles you've been operating by. So we're learning to think God's ways and then as we think God's ways we'll begin to act God's ways and we'll begin to get, be, be restored back again to what that garden was like in the original 
relationship that God created with man. So we've gone through a number of principles, and I'm not going to go through them all. We've, we've talked about the fact that success in the world's eyes means you've got to get to the top, but Jesus told his disciples success in the kingdom of God is serving at the bottom. We've seen that in the world's eyes, where things go wrong in your life, you have every right to complain and feel sorry for yourself. In the kingdom of God, that's when we're to rejoice and throw a party when things aren't going right because, because of the faithfulness of God. We've looked at other principles. We've looked at, uh, uh, last time we looked at, uh, uh, of, of the, the, in the world, we're, we're taught to put ourselves first. We're taught to take care of numero uno, and then everybody else can fall into their place. We saw in the kingdom of God, it's when you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all those things are added unto you. And today we're going to look, each of these gets more difficult. And we're going to end with one probably next week, we're going to, which opens up a whole new study for us. Because I wanted to lay this foundation for you. So I, I told you to turn to Matthew 5. All right, did you? <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 5. These get more challenging, but remember, the principles that we're reading are the truth. They're what work. The principles that we've learned to operate by in this world are not the truth. They're an illusion. All right. This is going to begin to hit us where we live. Now, it's interesting. As you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you'll find this same contrast that we've been talking about. Jesus will say, you've been taught this, or you've been trained in this way, but the kingdom of God says this. So there's this contrast this we've been talking about. And that's basically this subject of two different rules of two different kingdoms. All right. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you, and persecute you. Stop there a second. We were all raised. You may not have been taught this by your parents, but these are rules or principles that you don't necessarily have to be taught by your, somebody sitting down and saying, this is what you're to do. You pick it up because that's the way everybody else operates. Not only that, that's, these things are ingrained in our flesh. And the principle that we've been trained in is... Do unto others what they do unto you. And in fact, if you get good at it, do unto others before they do unto you. In other words, you get the first lick in. <laughs> take them out before they had take a chance to throw a punch at you. It's basically this. If somebody does something against you, your instinct is to get back at them to get even with them. It just seems right. It just seems just. And there is a sense of justice in it. Somebody does something wrong, there should be consequences to what they're doing. But the, the issue here is what, who has the right to do that? So that we were all trained that if somebody hurts you, says something against you, just the very thing, I would thought about doing this, but I'm not. I brought somebody up here and I went like, boom, like to this to them. Their first reaction, if they were not conscious of you being here, would be to, they may not hit me, but to, to be, want to push back, 
That's our instinct. Somebody does something to you, you want to do something back to them. And there's this sense of, well, it's only right. They shouldn't be getting away with something. And that's what we were ingrained in. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's only right. It's only just. And see, we can look at this at kind of a legal level, but we can also just get down where we live. Somebody says something about you, your defenses rise up. You want to figure out some way to strike back at them. And some of us can be very... Yes, Lord? <laughs> now, see, I want to find out who did this because I'm going to get even with them. <laughs> see, we have this internal sense of justice and what's right. And if somebody does something to us, we think they shouldn't get away with it. We should have, and we're the ones because they did it to us that ought to be authorized to get back at them. And that's ingrained in us. It's in, our, it's, in our, it's in our genes, our physical genes. It's in our instinct. And we, as we get older, we get, try to get more sophisticated and get better control of that. But it's what's so deep down in our heart. And again, it can be in all kinds of areas of our life. Just defending ourselves. Somebody does something to you and you want to justify yourself. But if we've looked at this, at the very core of every one of these principles is this dichotomy, this separation. In the kingdom of this world, at the very core of every one of these principles, I've lost my platform down here so I've got to do it up here. The very core of every one is, is, is it's all about me. Every one of these world's principles is centered around protecting, promoting, or something about me that I'm taking care of. Because it's my kingdom I'm now establishing. And we've discovered that in the kingdom of God, it's not about me at all. It's all about Him. Because remember in the kingdom of God, they were so lost in who He was, they weren't even aware of themselves. But while they're lost in who He is, now they're wide open for Him to take care of them, love them, provide them, because they're part of His kingdom. And over here what we're doing is we're trying to do what He intended to do for us. We're trying to do it for ourselves so that we're in control. And again, I come back to this question. How good a job are you doing of being God in your life? To be God in your life means you're your source of your provision. How well provided for you are you? To be God in your life means you're, you're the protector of you. How good a job are you doing at protecting yourself? What happens when we all start protecting ourselves? We start separating from each other. And we become enemies of each other. We start looking out for ourselves and not for others. And in the kingdom of God, we look out for Him... And then he looks out for us. And in the process, we can look out for each other because he's taking care of us. 
And so that's not just true about food and the natural things of life that we talked about last week. It's also true about our reputation. It's also true about, about what people think of us. So let's look at what Jesus says here. Because without this background and without this understanding, it's, it's, this is very strange thinking. And yet this is what the kingdom of God operates on. So if you're planning to spend eternity in heaven, you've got to get used to the fact that you may be living next to somebody that you don't think deserves to be there. In fact, it wouldn't shock me if God has somebody assigned next to you in heaven that's been your biggest challenge here. Oh my goodness, I was hoping to get away from them when I went to heaven. Because there's something God wants. There are people in your life right now that God's assigned in your life to annoy you. Not because He wants you annoyed, because He's working to transform you into His image. Because if you step back and really look honestly at yourself, and then we all look honestly at each other, all of us annoy Him. So if God were like you, or like me, or like all of us, and He wanted to get away from the people that annoyed Him, where would that leave us? You understand that you're in the kingdom of God not because you're so handsome and so sweet and so lovable. You and I are in the kingdom of God in spite of what we look like and act like and talk like and think like. I'm talking about even now. You and I are in the kingdom of God only because of what He's like. Not at all because of what we're like. We're in it in spite of what we're like. So our presence in the kingdom of God and in His family is a testimony to His grace, not anything about us. And we need to remember that, especially when we start looking at one another. So let's look at Jesus' words here. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now look at this. This is incredible. Love your enemies. Well, we can do that. We just sit in our living rooms and, you know, I know that next door neighbor throws his trash over my yard. I know he lets his dog loose and his dog does things in my yard he should be doing in his yard. And I know, you know, these people are on the other side of me. They talk about us because we go to church on Sunday and, you know, and, and we don't do some of the things that they do. And, you know, I, you know, I, you know so, I, but I'm, I, we're supposed to love them. So I'm sitting here in my living room and I'm loving them. I don't like it, but I'm loving them because Jesus said to love them. And that's good. That's a start. But he doesn't end there. Look at the next thing he says. Bless those 
who curse you. Now we're talking about people that say things about you. Yeah, but, but they weren't true. You notice in here there's no discussion of what's true or not true? There's no discussion of, whether, of who's right or who's wrong. You understand God's not quite as concerned of who's right and who's wrong in our debates as He is how we handle the relationship. He says, bless those who curse you. Now that's somebody that's picked you out and decided to express something about you that's negative. And instead of responding by blessing them back, <laughs> by cursing them back, he said in the kingdom of God, under his principles, what we're to do is instead of striking back with our words, we're to bless them back with our words. Oh, it gets better. See, this is hard. It's only hard because we're so ingrained in this way of doing things. Actually, the reality is it's the kingdom of God's principles are only hard on your flesh. So the more you scream and yell and balk at this, the more you're revealing you're controlled by your flesh. I knew this would be popular. But it's the truth. Let's go to the next one. Do good to those who hate you. Now doing good. See, in the beginning, in the loving your enemies, you can sit in your living room and just love them. Now people are saying nasty things about you and you're supposed to say good things back to them. Now there's somebody that, that hates you. Now you're not just supposed to sit in your living room and, and love them. Now you're not just supposed to say good things, but now you're supposed to do, go do something for them. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. This is, getting, this, is getting, this is getting too tough here. These are not my words. These are just as tough for me as they are for you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray. This is one that really gets me. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now it's not just somebody that hates you. It's somebody that's picked you out and has decided to use you spitefully. So it's not just, well, I'm taking advantage of you. I've picked you out. And I'm going to, out of spite, use you. Or persecute you. And we're to pray for them. This shifts over even into our politics. You know, we're really big on, you know, the Word of God says this about these issues and this about this issues and we need to vote for people based on how the, but the Bible says and I believe that's true. But then what happens is, you know, it, you may have somebody elected that doesn't believe what you believe. Now what do we do? 
Oh, who said to do that? Jesus did. In 1 Peter, he says, honor the king. You need to go back and look who the king was when Peter wrote that. It's the position. And so when people in our society, and we may be coming to a place where the government or others start to persecute us as they are in other parts of the world, what are we going to do? I'm ashamed to say that so much of the church in the United States, when we're confronted with people that disagree with us, we strike back at them. We act just like the world instead of praying for them. I'm not saying agree with people. I'm saying what do we do with those people? Been really quiet in here. <laughs> you wait till you see where we're going. <laughs> now here's why, because he doesn't just leave us there. That you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, this, this, so what he's saying here is he's saying, the reason I'm telling you to do that is that's how God operates. Now, let's bring this down to God and you, or God and me. Because look what he's saying to do. So these must be how God operates. I say unto you, love your enemies. Well, that's what God's done with us. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and several other places that we were at enmity with Him. You may not have sat in your living room or gone to church and said, I hate God. But the Bible says when you opposed Him, when you resisted Him, when you decided to do your own thing instead of what He says in the Word to do, that we set ourselves at enmity or as an enemy of God. So every one of us when he found us, we're his enemy. And what did he do? He loved us. So what's the next thing he says we're to do here? Bless those who curse you. Have you ever taken his name in vain? Either with your words or with your thoughts? Have you ever said such things as God doesn't understand me? God doesn't know where I am? That's cursing him. And what has He done with us? He still blessed us. What else does Jesus say we're to do? Love your enemies, bless those who... Do good to those who hate you. <laughs> I get this scene in my mind of Calvary. of Jesus being nailed to that cross, being lifted up and that cross sinking down into the socket that held it up. And the group that was gathered around him, mocking him, throwing things at him, the Roman soldiers who were throwing dice over his clothes, and none of them understood that the only reason he went through that was to save them. 
That's why in Hebrews 12 it says, when you're struggling against this stuff and trying to do what's right, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It says, because you've not resisted sin to the point that your blood has been shed for doing what's right. But Jesus did. Every one of us was his enemy. Every one of us was God's enemy. And yet out of love for you and me, he took his own son and sacrificed him with a horrible suffering and death for each one of us who was his enemy. That's why it says in the scriptures that the rulers and authorities couldn't understand. Satan couldn't figure this one out. Why couldn't he figure it out? Because it was operating at a level that he couldn't understand. He could not understand or conceive of this kind of love that God... So you understand Satan has a better idea of what God's like than you and I do because he's been in heaven at the throne room. What he couldn't understand is that this God of holiness and glory and majesty would give his son's life up for such things as you and me. That couldn't enter into his mind. He couldn't conceive of that. And that's how he got trapped in the cross. Because he thought by the cross he was destroying the Son of God. When in reality, it was his power that was being destroyed. And he couldn't, he got caught in the trap because it required an act of love he could not understand or comprehend. That's why the world does not comprehend it but they can see there's something different about it than with the way the world operates. And that's what we are here to do. We are here to be witnesses of that kind of love that when the world sees that when the, we've been attacked, we've been persecuted, we've been cursed, we've been mistreated, and instead of doing what everybody else does, we've loved back with a love that's unheard of, that's unnatural then they begin to realize there's something different here. This is what God did with us. Verse 46. For you, if you just love those who love you, what reward have you? Why? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? In other words, when we only love people who love us, we're no different than the world. If we just do unto others what they've done unto us, we're no different than the world. But understand this. If you, just, if you don't intentionally make a change, you're going... See, I've got to go back to this example. You're going to drift over here because this is where what you were trained in. Ever drive a car that was, the wheels were really out of alignment? I won't ask for a show of hands. But when those wheels are out of alignment, you've got to put effort into keeping the car straight. Because if you take your hands off, especially if they're badly out of alignment, it'll drift off one way or the other and you'll get into an accident or go into a ditch. So you've got to maintain your concentration and you've got to keep your focus recognizing that I can't take my hands off this wheel. Understand this, that when, when, when you were born... You were born into a life, into a world, and given a body that was out of alignment. 
I use this example. If you go to a showroom and you buy a brand new car, that car is going to be built and set up according to the manufacturer's specifications. So those tires, those wheels, are going to be in the exact setting that they're supposed to be in. So when you get out on that highway for the first time, you ought to be able to take your hands off the wheel, and it, I won't advise you doing this, and it will go straight. But you drive it around New England very long, especially in a winter, and you can't do that because they've gotten out of alignment. The Garden of Eden was the car coming out of the showroom. Genesis 3 was the pothole. <laughs> Boom! Got the wheels out of alignment. And you and I were born in a car, this flesh, that the wheels are out of alignment. It wants to do what's wrong. It wants to eat what it shouldn't eat. It wants to go where it shouldn't go. It wants to put in it what it shouldn't put in it. It wants to say what it... It just wants to... That's why you can't just let it go. Because that's like taking your hands off the wheel of a car that the wheels are out of alignment. Now, some of you aren't old enough to remember cars that did not have power steering. But if you had a car that didn't have power steering, turning that car took real effort. But see, when you were born again, God put His Spirit in you. And His Spirit's like power steering. You can control it with just a little bit of effort. But you've got to maintain your concentration because you're still walking around in a body that's out of alignment. And so the world says, it's instinctive to us to love those that love us. But Jesus is saying, that doesn't count anything in the kingdom of God. That means you're just like your neighbors. You're just like the world. It's when we love those that don't love us. It's when we love those that hate us. It's when we do good to those that hate us. When we pray for those who persecute us. When we do that, then we're acting like our Father. We're acting on those principles. Let's look at some other examples. Romans chapter 12. Now you can see why we have to renew our mind. In fact, Romans 12 starts by saying, the first chapter, verse verses, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And then verse 2 says that we are to, we are to be tra- not to be conformed to this world. That means the way the world thinks. But we're to be transformed and the transformation is into the image of God by renewing our mind, by learning to think the principles that are in the kingdom of God. Again, this doesn't happen overnight. This requires practice. This requires continual applying yourself. And you will slip and fall. You will, once you've determined that you're going to walk in love, I can guarantee something. You are going to have opportunities to apply that. Because there will be a message sent off in hell to send to you on assignment demons of strife. But that doesn't mean we don't do what the kingdom of God says. That's just our opportunity to grow. Did you find Romans 12 yet? All right. 
Oh, this is exciting stuff. I can just tell how excited you are. But this is where the blessing is. See, we've come through a period of time when people are talking about the blessing of God. Where's the blessing of God? I want the blessing of God. But what we do is we want to live by the world's principles and have the blessings of the kingdom of God. It don't work that way. The blessings of God are a result of operating in the kingdom of God because that's where the blessings are. All right. Romans 12, verse 14. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's not right. Oh, that's because I'm in 1 Corinthians. (laughs) You're in the right place. I'm in the wrong place. I wonder why I couldn't find renewing the mind. There we go. All right. Starts right out, right up front. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another and do not set your mind on high things. That means on high thoughts of yourself. But associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. We've already talked about that. Repay no one. Repay no one evil for evil. But you don't understand what they did to me. Repay no one. Now the word no one in Greek means no one. No exception. I don't care how they look like. I don't care what they said. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Remember, we're learning to act like our Father. See, God's not telling you to do something you can't do. That would be unjust. Really, if you look through Paul's writings, what you'll see basically Paul saying is, act like who you are. Because when you came to Christ, you changed families. We've looked at that before. It says in Colossians 1.13 that when you came to Christ... You were transferred out of the dominion, the domain, the kingdom of darkness. That's the kingdom that operates under the principles of the world. And you were transferred into the kingdom of His dear Son. That's where you were positionally when you came to Christ. God took your old nature out. It says in Jeremiah and it says in Ezekiel, God took your whole heart of stone out and put in you His heart and His spirit. That's how you became a child of God. Not because water got sprinkled on you, because God took your old nature out and put a new nature in you and the new nature is His nature. You have His nature in you. All God's saying is act like who you are. But that's so hard for us because we're so practiced in this. But until we begin to think differently, until we begin to recognize, no, this is not 
normal. This is not right for, this is not normal for a child of God. This is not what the truth is. This is a perversion. Until we recognize this, we'll hold on to this and think that the kingdom of God's rules are strange and weird, or more sophisticatedly, they're too difficult to do. They're ideals that are too high. No, it's your nature. It's who you are inside. The word, and we'll talk about this when we get into renewing the mind. When Paul says in verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that word transformed, if you do a surface study, you won't get this, but I've done a depth, in-depth study of that word. And what it literally means is to take what your nature is on the inside and bring it to the outside so that it can be seen. So that means until you do that, God's nature is on the inside of you, but it has no influence on anybody because on the outside you're still acting like you used to act. Because he goes on to say that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I was reading that one day and it said, prove to whom? And we'll look at this later on when we get into it, but in, 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 I think it's in, in Ephesians, he talks about that we are, this is, we, we are part of a grand display that God is displaying to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. There are several places where it says the angels are watching over us. God is proving through you and me not what His power can do, but what His grace and His love can do. And he's demonstrating it by taking people like you and me on all the rest of us and dying for us, putting his nature in us and showing what that change of nature can do so as we both as but if we don't begin to act like him, we can't prove anything. So there's much at stake here. All right. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, that means sometimes it's not, as much as depends on you from your side, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, talking to believers, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. See, we get so bent out of shape because somebody's done something wrong, even if they haven't done it to us, we think we're, we're commissioned by God to correct it. I got a call a while ago, and I won't go into any of the details, but from another church a distance away, but somebody I'd known a long time ago, from somebody that was upset at the way that there was a change in leadership. And they were upset at the way the pastor, and they'd wrote 14 pages of what they were doing wrong. Called me and said, well, they called the wrong guy. Because <laughs> I listened to all that, and I said, all right, let's assume you're completely correct about everything you see and everything you say. Why do you think God's commissioned you to correct your pastor. Even if you're right, there's another element here. 
Because remember the story where the, where the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus, threw him down at his feet, and say, we know she's guilty. We caught her in the act. And the, Moses law, the law of Moses says she deserves to be stoned. And Jesus didn't argue with that or debate that at all. He says, you're right. Here's the stones. But now let's talk, he said, about who's got the right to carry that out. And here's God's standard. Whoever among you has never committed a sin, you can pick up the first stone. So God's standard on carrying out judgment and righteousness is somebody that's never committed a sin. And they all walked away, starting with the oldest who probably had the most to remember. Now the interesting thing is there was one person there who did have a right to throw a stone, who'd never committed sin, and of course that's Jesus, and he chose not to. So Paul goes on to say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not yours. It's not mine. But, but and this is where I, I've, you know, I, I'm very easy at forgiving and letting things go. But there have been times when I've seen somebody, in my mind, getting away with something. And that's what gets under my skin. Yeah, but they're getting away with something. And nobody knows it. But I can see they're getting away with something because I know something other people don't know. And they're get, but they're getting away with something. God had to jerk me, the slack out of me and says, yes, they are. But that's my business, not yours. Romans 14 says, who are you to judge another man's servant? Goes on to say, they're my servant, not yours. How do you know I can't make them stand? But see, what makes it so hard for us is we're right. See, it's different when we know somewhere it's not, look, I'm wrong, I'm just getting back at somebody. But the really tough ones is when you know you're right. But you know what? God looked at you and said you deserve to go to hell, and he was right. He looked at me and says. Hey, you're a number one candidate to go to hell, and he was right. So in the kingdom of God, it's not always a question of who's right. Because remember, we're to be like our fathers in heaven. Oh, this is so popular, I can tell. My goodness. Because it hits us where we live. But this, my brothers and sisters, is the place of growth. If we continue to hold on to this way of thinking, it's one thing to recognize, look, I know this is wrong, I really want to operate like that, but I'm, I'm, having, I'm struggling, I have to grow. That's one thing. But to hold on to it and think this is right, then we stop God from helping us to grow. So we read this and we may react to it, but the reaction means that's right and you're wrong. And your growth is going to take place by facing the fact that you're wrong and God's right. I'll give you a clue. He's always right. So when this rub... Pastor Sam used to have a great expression. 
If you've rubbed the cat the wrong way, there's a really easy solution. You turn the cat around. <laughs> if this rubs you the wrong way, turn around. The biblical word for that is repent. If this gets you all upset, most likely you're doing it. If your mind's coming up with all kinds of justification, most likely you're doing it. So what we need to do is say, all right, Lord, I'm doing it, but I want to change. I recognize that's where I am. And the Spirit of God is in you to get the steering wheel turned around the right way. All right. This is what's important to God. Verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, because that's what happens. When you, when you get back at somebody for what they've done wrong, you now participate in their evil. My mother used to have this expression, you've come down to their level. When you react to them, that's how Satan works. He pokes at you, knowing how to elicit a response from you, because he knows you. He's done a good job of training you in the principles of his kingdom. So he knows, we just call them buttons. Boy, they know how to push my button. Then get saved. Because in the kingdom of God, you don't have buttons. You've got the Spirit of God. What that means is they know, they know, and it's not them, understand, it's spirits behind them. They know how to get me upset because they know the issues in my life that I haven't brought to the cross yet, really. The buttons that they push are areas where you need to renew your mind because you're thinking like the world. And as long as we think we're entitled to those buttons, we're going to continue to think like the world and not receive the blessings of the kingdom. Okay. Let's go over to chapter 13. So verse 21 saying that if I, if I react to somebody to get back at them, then I'm being overcome by their evil. We don't have time to go there this morning, but in, in James, I think it's in chapter 3, he talks about the wisdom of, 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 the wisdom of this kingdom, the wisdom of, of the world, which it, one of it is envy and jealousy and strife. And he says those are doctrines of demons. So when I let envy and jealousy and strife loose in my life, I have chosen to release demons in my life. That's what the Bible says. Is that what I want? That's like wondering why, you know, why the heating bill is so high when all your windows are open and your doors open. My goodness, I can't believe the price of this. My heating bill is so high. And yet somebody comes in and visits you, but all your windows are open, all your doors are open. You're giving it all away, what you're trying to achieve. Chapter 13. Verse 8. 
owe no one anything. Oh, but the last part of verse 21 is, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Getting back at people never overcomes the evil. It just participates in it. The only way you can overcome the evil is with good. It says elsewhere, mercy covers a multitude of sins. Chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. He who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Now, it's interesting. We're not going to take the time to go there. But you need to go back in the Old Testament and find all the promises that relate to fulfilling the law. One of them is health. Deuteronomy 7.14 says, If you do all these things that I've commanded you, one of the blessings is I will remove sickness from your midst. Yeah. So, yeah, there's so many rules under the law, but here he reduces them to one. The Brother Hagen, the head of the school that, that we went to, Pastor Ray went to, and some others here have gone to, he's known as an apostle of faith, but if you really knew him, he was more of an apostle of love. He had this attitude, I cannot afford to be in strife. For my health. Say, oh, that doesn't sound like God. Well, you need to read 1 Corinthians 11 where he says just regarding the communion table the wrong way has opened the door to people getting sick and many dying. So these things we do, these attitudes towards God and the, violating the principles of God can literally open the door to things coming into our lives like sickness and disease. Now we don't walk around afraid of it because if our eyes are just on keeping the principles of the kingdom of God, and it really ultimately comes down to one, love. Amen. The God kind of love. Not the world kind of love, which I love you if you love me back, but the God kind of love, I love you regardless of what you do. I'll sacrifice for you regardless of what you, whether you ever say thank for you or what you do back to me. All right. I've got to go on quickly. It fulfills the law. For the commandment, verse 9, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's, and if there are any other commandments, they're all summed in this one, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, there's some very subtle ways we can do harm. It isn't necessarily throwing bricks through your neighbor's window. It can be doing something that because... See, we can be very sneaky. It can be doing something because we, we, we really think... They, we know what they're doing is wrong. It ought to come out in the cover. But I can't do that because I'm walking in love. So we do something so someone else will find out about it. Brother Hagin tells a story of he was staying with somebody, a pastor, and he made promises to him he just didn't keep. And one of them was, you know, there was gonna, he was going to pay, he basically didn't give any offerings. Brother Hagin's got to drive back home. He doesn't have enough money even for the gas, let alone food. And one of the members in his church was an elder, um, owned a hotel. And he said, you know what I can do? I can call him, at least borrow the money. So he went to the phone to call him up to borrow the money just so he could get home, and he walked away and said, no, if I do that, then that elder is going to wonder why the pastor didn't take care of me. Now, it's God's business to take care of that pastor and to show him what was wrong. That's not my... So he put the phone down, 
And God provided what he needed to get home. See, this goes way down in the motivations of our heart. We can do the things on the surface that look, oh, well, I'm, I'm walking in love, but what's going on in your heart? What's the motivation of your heart? Because in God's eyes, that's what counts. Okay. And of course, if you really want to know what this looks like, you're going to go to, we're not going to turn there, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, which talks about what this love acts like. But I want to end with um, Acts chapter 7, an example. We've talked about Jesus on the throne, on the cross. Well, yeah, Jesus, that's Jesus, of course, He does that. But I want to look at somebody else here. This is a man who's been, his name's Stephen. All he's done is performing miracles and preaching the gospel. And he gets arrested and confronted. We're going to look at verse 51. This, this is what he says to the, the, uh, the religious authorities. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, and so do you. See, walking in love doesn't mean that you're Casper Milk Toast. And that you never say harsh things. It's the motive. He's not defending himself here. He's defending God's holiness and righteousness under the anointing of the Spirit. Jesus didn't always just have a lamb draped over his shoulder either. He didn't have the lamb draped over his shoulder when he threw over the money changers. And I don't think he did that, you know, nice and politely. He was angry. God gets angry, you know. He just never loses his temper. But he does get angry. Okay. Verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the just one and on whom you've now betrayed betrayers and murderers who've deceived you by the law. When they heard these things, verse 54, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. They're so angry, they're grinding their teeth. And he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. See, when you begin to walk in the principles of the kingdom of God, God shows up. We don't have time to go there today, but go back into, into Daniel and you'll see the story of the three Hebrew children. They wouldn't bend either and they wouldn't bow. And the Son of God showed up in that furnace. Daniel wouldn't bend and Daniel wouldn't bow. And God showed up in the, Daniel, in the lion's den. When you put Him first, when you operate on His kingdom principles, God always shows up because you're in His kingdom. He has to. He's responsible for you. When you're out here on your own, you're responsible for you. Verse 56, Look, I see heaven opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran in with one accord. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. They picked up rocks to throw at him and stoned him. Witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen. Now that man's done what God told him to do. And now he sees God in heaven and all he's doing is giving glory for what he sees and they're convicted by that so much they get angry and bring him outside the city and they're, going to, they're stoning him to death. 
if in the world system anybody had a right to get back at them or say things back at them or call judgment down on them, Stephen would have. But look at what he does. Look at what he does. Verse 59, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And he fell asleep. I'll close with this. When we're operating in the principles of the world, all the ones we've talked about, and especially the one today, we're protecting ourselves, providing for ourselves. It's all based around me. And when that doesn't work out, when somebody crosses us on that, we want to get back at them. We're our God. But in God's kingdom, when you've given yourself over to Him and you're operating by His principles, you'll see Him the ways you've never seen Him before. Because Stephen can do this because he's looking at the face of his God and his Father and his Lord. And he's like that first man and woman. He's so caught up in who God is, it doesn't matter to him what they're doing to his body. Because they can't take this away from him. So the only power we have to operate on these principles comes from keeping our gaze and our focus and our love and our trust in Him. Remember, this is a process. You're not going to master it overnight. In fact, it's a lifelong process. But it begins by a choice, an act of your will. I'm no longer going to be governed, controlled by the way I've thought before and the principle of this world because I don't belong to this world. I belong in God's kingdom. Now you begin a process of learning to think differently. And it's only as you learn to think differently that you'll start acting differently. But it starts with a choice. Although I'm a child of God, I've been operating under the world's principles. And they don't work. I want to please my God and operate under His principles and receive His blessings. Let's pray. Father, Your Word can be very challenging to us. But we look at it in light of what we know. But when we learn to look at your word and what you require of us in light of what you've done for us, the grace that you've bought for us, the Spirit of God who's in us, then we know we can do the things that your word is calling us to do. But in order to do that, we're going to have to renew our thinking and learn to think differently. And Father, for that you've given us your word and you've given us your spirit. And I ask you right now, Father, that in the days and the week ahead, in the actual circumstances of our life, when challenges come up to us, Father, that the Holy Spirit would bring back to our recollection the things you showed us this morning personally. For those are the things you are enabling us to carry out. And for that grace, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.